Hello and welcome to the High Potential Startups interview series. I'm your host, Nick Taylor, and this podcast is sponsored by Octopus Ventures, one of Europe's largest and most active VCs with over a billion pounds under management and a portfolio of more than 100 companies. Their investment teams specialize in five areas, health, fintech, deep tech, consumer, and B2B software. The health team in particular is looking to back entrepreneurs who are transforming the health industry. From digital therapeutics through to biotech at Seed, Series A and B, to date, Octopus Ventures has backed some of the most disruptive startups in health, including LV, Big Health, Overture, Ori Biotech, and Quick Genius, making them the perfect partners for the podcast as we talk to CEOs at the cutting edge of the life science space, discussing their careers, the highs and lows, as well as taking a much closer look at the future plans for the businesses they are leading. For our first episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Shardin Havandi, CEO and co-founder of Tune, a medtech company backed by Octopus Ventures and founded in London, but with an approach to take on the global challenge faced by all women when it comes to contraceptives. We cover a number of topics, including her personal journey and the events that lead to the founding of Tune. I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. Hi, Shardin. Great to have you on the interview series. Really pleased to have you. I'm I've been fortunate enough to work with you now for a short period, um, and I've given the, the audience a brief introduction. But can you, for for them, introduce yourself and give them a brief highlight on where you come from, what you're doing at the moment? Absolutely. Hi, Nick. Um, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Um, so. Just for everyone else, um, I'm Shadi. Um, I'm the CEO and co-founder of Tune. Um, Tune is a personalized women's healthcare company, um, which fundamentally focuses on hormonal health. It, our first product is personalized contraception, with a, a big, big focus on um, hormonal health and well-being. Good. So we're going to go into the business as we, we get further on into the conversation, but I'm drawing all the way back and, you know, someone that spends my day looking at LinkedIn profiles, um, your background is really interesting. You've gone from an architecture background into the science world. Um, definitely not what I typically expect to see. So can you tell us a little bit about that journey and that, that leap from two different worlds? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so yeah, so let me go back. So when I was, um, so um, I was an architect focusing on um, sustainable developments sort of around the world. After about seven years in that industry, um, I realized that everything that we were building had the label of sustainability, but wasn't really sustainable. And to me, that wasn't resonating anymore. And the tech sort of um, world wasn't really cutting up with the architecture, urban design world. And at that point, I was looking sort of to change my career path. Um, my family actually owns a biomedical engineering company, um, looking at sort of um, genetic sequencing machines and sort of other um, sort of machinery related to, to biomedical engineering. And I was sort of getting more and more fascinated with that world. And so I decided to sort of change my career path uh, and go down that route. And um, in order to do that, I started another master's um, at UCL in health tech and management to familiarize myself with the health and technology world a little bit more. And interestingly, um, while I was working and going through my degree, halfway through my degree, I started having severe health problems. I couldn't digest anything. 
literally anything. I couldn't even drink water and I was going bald. Fortunately, I have hair now, so it's all good. Um, and sort of after about seeing 10, 20 doctors, um, unfortunately, I got diagnosed with bowel cancer. Fortunately, that was a misdiagnosis. <laughs> and all the doctors were saying, you know, you're too stressed, you know, you're working, studying, traveling, doing all of these things, maybe you should do yoga and meditation. And I'm like, um, I can't digest anything. I'm going bold. Surely this can't be, you know, the solution can't be, you know, do yoga and meditation. And because I was doing sort of the, the, the degree that I was doing, I said, let me use this opportunity and write my dissertation on myself without telling anyone uh, and sort of also leverage the network that I had around me with, with work and also having been to UCL sort of for my previous degrees. So um, I decided to, you know, research um, cortisol and understand if it's really sort of causing, uh, causing me the symptoms that it's basically causing. And um, so I, I started researching. I even built a device that could measure cortisol levels on a daily basis, one I worked for it at UCL, and turns out that, you know, my cortisol levels were absolutely fine. The responses in the morning, in the afternoon and evening, all were absolutely normal. And in one of the research papers that I was um, going through, it linked sort of cortisol levels with female sex hormones. And um, there was a world-renowned stress professor at the time, not to be named. Um, so I went to him and I said, hey, I'm looking into this uh, for my research. Um, you know, in your sort of studies, have you looked into the link between cortisol levels and female sex hormones? And he literally looked at me and said, we don't look at female hormones. Um, they decrease statistical power. We only look at male subjects. And at this point, I'm like, oh my goodness, like you're not having this conversation with me. Um, and he was like, you know, I, I highly suggest you not going down this path because I don't think you're going to get a good grade. And this is sort of the most shocking conversation I had in my life. So, um, so when you had that, that conversation, had you, had you told people like your dad that you were doing this research? Was there anyone else that you were talking to going, right, yeah, look, this is my dissertation, this is what I'm doing it on. Do you think I'm crazy? Um, or is it, how, yeah, how many obstacles did you come across at least? Yeah, yeah, so, so, so it was interesting because obviously the obstacles were, you know, if you think about it and if I were, you know, if I were, if I was listening to my sort of, you know, doctors, I shouldn't have even been doing the thing that I was doing. So obviously that was, when I look back, I honestly, I think I was frozen for a week going, am I crazy? Like, you know, what's wrong? What's happening? And sort of, you know, I, I, I pulled myself up and I said, listen, you are going to find the solution for this. Like we've been to the moon. Surely there, there is an answer for this, you know? And I think um, those things have happened to me multiple times, you know, and, and, and I'll go through and, and there are more to come in the story. But every time, you know, you go back and say, there must be, there's always a solution. There's always a solution. And so you can find something. And I think um, for me, that was the most important lesson, looking back and building what we are building right now. There are always obstacles. And so it's all, all the time picking yourself and going, okay, yes, we're going to, you know, we're going to go through this, we're going to get through this, and we're going to find an answer. And yes, it's going to be hard. But, you know, just keeping that optimism there. That's, I think that's what enabled me to sort of to move forward. And and for this story, um, you know, I, I, I obviously finished my dissertation, there was quite a lot of findings that was pointing at female sex hormones. And because of that, I decided to enroll in a master's in endocrinology. 
And at that point, you know, everyone absolutely thought I'm insane because they had no idea what, what I'm, why I'm doing this. Also, they didn't know that I'm doing this because I literally was unable to function um, normally and properly on a daily basis. And so um, sort of, you know, once I enrolled in that um, sort of course, I was hoping that once I get to the reproductive module, I'll have all the answers that I was looking for. But the interesting part for me was sort of the disconnect between medicine and science and sort of this massive focus on deadly diseases. Not, I'm not saying they're not important, they're extremely important, but there is definitely, uh, you, you clearly see sort of this focus on sick care um, and, and deadly diseases related to that other than, okay, what are the root causes of thing and how can we sort of understand what's going on and investigate um, and so I had to go back to the research papers um, honestly felt like I read hundreds of thousands of research papers and finally stumbled upon you know uh, 200 papers that were suggesting that I have a particular hormone imbalance that impacts the way that I metabolize things but because I didn't fall into what the medical world wanted to categorize me as which was obese diabetic so on and so forth they actually couldn't figure out what's going on um, and so there was a drug that was um, not mainstream at the time that was suggested um, in these studies that I should take. So very optimistically, I went to my GP and I said, hey, <laughs> these are all the tests that I've done. This is the drug. These are the data. And she literally spit in my face and said, who the hell do you think you are coming up with all of these things? Of course, we're not going to prescribe any of these things to you. Of course, we're not going to you know, what are these tests anyways? Um, and so sort of I got sent back and luckily um, I reached out to one of the professors in one of those papers that I read who was based in Germany. And I said, listen, like these are, you know, my findings and I believe I really should be taking this medication. And he kindly sort of accepted and prescribed uh, the medication to me. And very interestingly in the UK, that drug became mainstream. Um, so now my GP prescribes it and, and here we are. But that sort of journey, I guess, led me to build Tune. Why are we sort of, it felt to me going through that as a patient and understanding and going through through sort of the, the, the medical system and also the education system, you know, around medicine and, and, and science, it really felt like I was going through the dark ages. And that was but the interesting part is the all the ingredients are there for us to get out of those dark ages, but no one's doing anything. Yeah, about I love that reality that um, the you know medicine. I think probably in this this acceptance that not substandard care in terms of contraceptive, but it probably it's got to that stage in terms of where we've evolved technology wise. But from a probably a public mindset is great. We've got these products that up until the 60s, 70s, weren't really accessible or available on a wide scale use. And now are, they're still deemed as probably a degree of, yeah, these are these are novel, these are new, these are part of our generation, rather than looking at it and saying, well, actually, you know, over the course of the last 60, 70 years, we've come such a long way. There's such a long way to, you know, taking that technology and applying it back to the reality of these products are were suitable then they're not great now exactly exactly i think you're spot on that's that they were super innovative you know six seven years ago and kudos you know for for, for creating them in the first place because they gave women the opportunity to be able to go out but at the time that they were created they were only focusing on preventing pregnancy not actually the other impacts of what is it doing to a woman's body you know what are they doing to me you know their physical body their mental health 
all of those things, right? And now we have the technology to actually understand those things. So why not do them? That's the question that we are, you know, answering. Just coming back to some of the pieces you mentioned there, and I, and I, I loved it in terms of that base thought process that when you come up against a barrier, an obstacle, you're almost in your mind, you go, we've been to the moon, therefore this is achievable. I've just got to find my solution. Is that a, is that a trait that's built in? Is that something you've learned from family? Is that just, you know, coming up against personal circumstances like these where you've had constant barriers and the mission and the goal is enough of the driver to force your way through them every time? What's, what's made you that way? Um, I think very interestingly, I've been put in, so I had indirectly very interesting role models, very indirectly. So family members that I've seen, you know, um, every time you ask them a question, they're like, why do you even think of it negatively? Like, why should you think of it negatively? So I was reinforced, you know, every time that a negative thought comes or a negative sort of emotion comes, you go, huh, but that person thinks about it differently. So why shouldn't I? So I was semi-exposed to that. It wasn't in my sort of, my, my, my father, for example, doesn't have that trait as much, but I have uncles who have very, very, very strong sort of, you know, positive belief systems. Like, why shouldn't this be like, why shouldn't this happen? Like, this is, it's not even a question. Like, why do you even question it? So I think I was exposed to that. And um, very interestingly, um, I had also relationships in the past where, so my, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, an ex had gone through cancer at the age of 18 and again, shared the experience with me. And I said, oh, there is a different way of even dealing with cancer. So I think those behaviors got reinforced in me. Um, and then also on the other side, you know, the other driver for me is like, I genuinely have allergic reaction to injustice. And I see this as a huge one. So those two drivers, I guess, in this particular case came together. And that's what drives me um, to do what we do on a daily basis. Okay. And was there a was there a natural transition point that you said, right, that's it. I'm, you know, I've had enough of this. I'm going to do it myself, and we're going to we're going to change change the way the game's played. We're going to set it up, and and I think it is a very novel idea the way you've come about looking at it and attacking it. What was the was there a specific point in time, a date where you went actually, yeah, you know, here's here's I'm going to start scratching out a business plan, or is there? Or has it come over a long period of time that you've reached reached the choice to, to set up a business and, and build a company? So I think I always wanted to make an impact, um, you know, on, on, on humanity, humanity and make the world sort of a, a better place. That's sort of, you know, I constantly think of like, you know, why do we have money, for example? Like, was there a better way that we could have, you know, uh, built the world? So I always had those questions and I'm always looking for something that I can sort of um, just dedicate myself to. And so that was, you know, always in the back of my mind. So it wasn't something that I wasn't surprised that I started this, but let's say I was surprised that I picked this particular thing coming from architecture, right? Like I always knew I'm going to do something, but I never thought of it to be this. Okay. Um, no, I love that journey. And, and I think there's, there's some really powerful pieces there in terms of that core trait and mentality and the way journeys can either... You know, but all those tough personal experiences can either build you up or they can knock you down. And if you can, if you can take the best from it, they really do power you on, which is great. Um, so winding, winding back on that story then and looking at you know, the, the, the remarkable shift from architecture into, 
into into life sciences as a whole. Um, how have you found the, in particular that that move and that transition, the challenges, the different environments, the different business mentalities? Uh, and it sounds, yeah. Tell me, how, how have you found that shift? Um, definitely, significantly, obviously different. <laughs> um, but I think, in some ways. Um, not so different in a way because architecture was a space that it wasn't allowing any outside sort of uh, creativity or technology to come in and it really is ripe for that same with medicine right like there are there are this sort of gates medicine science there's this gates that it's sort of difficult to to, to pass through to really be able to look um, and innovate and I think both of them actually if you think about it um could use the same approach, which, I mean, in my head, everything needs to be consumerized, not in a commercial commercial way, but in terms of, you know, we call it consumer health, right? I fundamentally believe that we are going to move towards a more consumer health sort of society rather than us being so far away from our health same with architecture same with urban design these are cities and houses that we're going to be living we are the end users we are the end customers why don't we have a saying sort of what is being built and what is being done same with medicine we are the ones who are using it shouldn't there be a direct feedback loop between us and surely we understand our bodies more um, and surely we understand what's going on um, so you know moving towards that consumerism or making sure that everything is user-centric I think could be applicable to both of those you know architecture and medicine sounds yeah. strange but that's and, how are, and I think to, to your point then they are for for both and particularly the, the issues that you're, you're coming up against that these are broad scale mass global issues you know this is uh in terms of contraception that's 50 percent of the world's population thereabout and and there was there was something that I read on on the website about the percentage of people with side effects that was for me incredibly alarming I've got I'm a, in a household with three women and the reality is two out of three of them will probably have some form of side effect for taking a contraceptive and the fact that we haven't put the power back into the consumer to go right yeah I'm picking the right product for me um I think it's pivotal and and uh, and across the board, like you say, there will be a massive shift in industries because of us empowering ourselves with more knowledge and, and getting better access to that knowledge to make those decisions. Because I think if you if you wound back 20 years ago, a lot of what you've gone through in many ways wouldn't be possible. You've got to take what you've been told for gospel and accept it and and move on, um, which is scary. Yeah, I think quite alarming. And um, so into the into the business then. So Peter Fish, how did, how did the two of you meet? Um, is there any connection to sort of an entrepreneur's first? Um, how is that that starting point where you go, right, I've got this idea, let's turn it into reality. You're the right person to do it with me. We actually met in a, uh, a probably the geekiest place of all. Um, we met at a precision medicine briefing event at Innovate UK. <laughs> that's, that's where we met and sort of I had the idea in my sort of in my head I knew who I need you know I've I've sort of I was looking for it but I always knew what sort of kind of a profile I'm looking for and and who would be right for the job right it, it couldn't be your uh, you know it, it needed to be someone who's both a scientist and, and a medical doctor who understands you know how do you how do you essentially bring those two disciplines um together 
and that's where we met and and the first thing he said he said wow i never ever thought whenever i was you know uh consulting patients especially females that i should be considering hormones as a as a vital part of you know my my diagnosis or my analysis and and so on and so forth and and in medical school there was no such thing as okay, female hormones actually impact women completely different to, to men and you need to be doing different things. And sort of for, he works in the precision, he, he worked previously in the precision oncology space. Mm. And for him was again, very much shocking that even in that the, the importance wasn't raised as much. Um, and, and we just clicked and here we are. <laughs> okay. Um, and so for day one, setting up the business, was there, was there a long lead time into you know, thought process or or was it just right I've got this idea let's let's go for it let's push on start a business tomorrow how much business planning went into you know the, the thought process before you went right stop the education pieces let's focus on on the on the day job and the day job is tune um when was that what was that transition point for you um so for me the transition part was very quickly so peter initially joined um for the first six months um, part-time um, and so we were figuring out sort of how all the dynamics works um, um, how are we going to set up the team what do we need what are the strengths what are the weaknesses so on and so forth and then I think six months in we were like okay yes let's sort of properly do this and um, I sort of invested into the business he invested into the business and we sort of bootstrapped the business and then we did sort of a, a, a big funding round uh, sort of uh, a year later but we heavily bootstrapped and constantly thinking about the business plan how does the business works financial models you know all of those things we spent a lot of time strategizing um how are we going to deliver this okay okay great and one of the things having got to know the business to a degree over the last three months is that's really impressed me the culture and the dynamic that you've been been able to build and um, if you were to ask a member of your team and people within the business, how do you think they describe the, the company, the way it operates? I would say, um, well, uh, a few different things. I would, I would definitely say, and I can go into it in more detail. For us, mindset is above skill set. So I think that's probably one thing that will that will uh, come across quite significantly. And by that, you know, w- what I mean is. Um, you know, building the, the right team with the right mindset. Even if you pivot like a million times, hopefully you won't pivot a million times, but you're still going to win and you're still going to be successful because you've built a team that are with, that are willing and able to tackle any problems, right? And if you think about startups, startups are about literally on a minute basis dealing with issues and problems, literally on a minute basis. So, so you need individuals who look at problems as opportunities, you know, and, and, and how do you create unfair advantages? Almost thinking of ourselves, I mean, it says it's a bit of a weird analogy, but almost thinking of ourselves as a, as a recycling plant. You get garbage in and you sort of get out, you know, good things back to the society, things that are valuable and useful. And so, you know, having, having that mindset, again, coming back to you know going to the moon or building a plane like looking at back at history these things were absolutely unachievable i mean thinking about it right now it's still how the hell did we go on moon or mars like how the like literally how did we do these are unachievable goals and in my opinion there are three main characteristics and obviously i'm oversimplifying but you know optimism persistence and looking outside the box 
and you have those three ingredients, you are going to make it work. So, so, so I think that's, that's, that's what, you know, comes, I think everyone on the team will sort of agree, um, agree on that side. And so even like giving an example and working with you, um, Nick, I know that I haven't been the easiest with all the requirements, but, you know, I've, I've, you know, for example, we had this discussion previously around, I was saying, you know, for the head of science and innovation role, we want someone, you know, more towards a biohacker mindset. Not that we want people to come and biohack things and do crazy things, but having this mindset of how do you deeply understand the problem and how do you come up with multiple different solutions for it? Because there is no one perfect answer, yeah. right? But it's about how do you, and, and the key is that deep understanding of the problem and coming up with multiple solutions. So, so, so that's what we really try to try to look for as a team that we build, right? Um, it's, it's not going to be difficult, but you don't grow if you don't do difficult things. So, so that is sort of, that is, that is sort of, I would say number one thing that everyone in the company would agree on would, would be mindset. And then sort of digging a little bit deeper, um, I think for us, vulnerability is, 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 is another sort of important cultural aspect that we want to, we want to honor. And by vulnerability, we fundamentally believe that to be courageous you have to be vulnerable and open. You know, you have to be comfortable with making mistakes. You have to be humble. You have to learn and we're going to fail and we're going to be okay and we're going to get up and we're going to do it again. Um, and so, you know, having that, I think, crucial again to, to supplement it with, you know, persistence and optimism and then thinking outside the box. The other one is obviously a bigger appetite for risk. Again, true courage comes when you decide to take risks without knowing the outcome. Right. So again, we come back to the same same theme um, and, you know, to get a little bit more technical, you know, we are extremely also data driven and experimental. Like everything is about experimentation. Everything is about collecting as much data as we can um, to be able to make the right decisions. Right. Nothing is top down. Nothing is bottom up. Everything is how do we collect unbiased data? How do we run as many experiments as we can so that we see um, how we're learning and moving forward and then landing on learning you know we fundamentally see ourselves as a learning brand you know externally and internally externally I mean this space there's a lot of myths there's a lot of misinformation how do we help women and the medical professionals out there to increase their knowledge about this space to increase their knowledge about hormone health and really, so he, I, I give you an example here. I don't know if you've heard of a, a platform called Seed Legals. Um, they are democratizing access to legal documents. And when you read their legal documents, honestly, it's the easiest thing I've ever read in my life versus if I read other legal sort of documentations, I literally feel like I'm reading Chinese. I'm like, I have no idea what you're saying here. And so how do we actually position ourselves in a way that we make everything digestible and coming back to that user centricity you know you need to make things digestible if you don't put the power back into the hand of the users then i mean i don't love the word user either we're constantly thinking about you know other words i don't like patient either so haven't found the perfect name but for now um we're gonna go with one of those two and and you know coming back to learning internally we're a learning brand as well because we we have a huge mission 
we have a huge mission and we, we, we know that in order to fulfill that mission, we need to be growing and we need to be growing every day and we need to be growing as human beings. You know, so how do we do that? How do we in the company allow that to happen? If someone wants to learn Chinese or German or whatever, these things will contribute to your overall learning. And therefore you become a better version of yourself. And by becoming a better version of yourself, you are going to be, uh, you know, a better version of yourself at work and therefore contributing to the overall mission. Good. Um, so I think there's a, the and that learning piece I, I, I've loved because actually we, we translated some of those mentalities into how we operate on, on our side and behaviours and um, this thought that, you know, that your, your personal learning is so heavily tied to your professional learning. And actually, if you build your, your purpose, your mission, your values and your goals into, into what you're trying to achieve, if you're achieving personally and professionally, you're far happier professionally and personally, and you're going in the direction you want to take. Um, for the business you've got, and what I often see as a, I think a unique challenge for the last 10 years is this blend between scientific and technology and bringing together what the two sectors probably have in terms of what's atypical, what you'd expect to see in a biotech versus what you'd expect to see in a, in a startup tech business, central London. Um, and even, you know, even I imagine the candidate pools, for example, dress very differently for interviews, even that on a very basic spectrum, there are, there are big differences. How do you go about pulling two groups of individuals together? Well, and, and then again, to communicating that out to a customer who isn't a tech expert, isn't a scientific expert, needs the information in black and white and very clearly so they can digest it, take it away and make the right decision for themselves. What's the, how, how are you trying to pull this melting pot together? Absolutely. So let me start with the, with the second question, which was how do we actually translate that? So again, coming back to user centricity, we constantly, constantly have um, user engagement. We're constantly sitting in front of our sort of users going, do you understand this? And, and again, coming back to the fact, I think just you be user centric and the information comes, if it's not clear to them, if you are getting that feedback, if, if they don't understand it, you haven't done your job right. And so you just go back and iterate and iterate and iterate. You get to a place like seed legals where you read the legal documents and you're like, oh my God, this is just amazing. Um, so, so I think, you know, never lose that close feedback loop would be my answer. And I think that will guide us towards the right, towards the right and direction. And regardless, and regardless of if you're a medical doctor, if you're a scientist or an engineer, or, or, or a product person or a designer, you can't argue with that. Everyone will then, you know, there is no, oh my God, because I'm a doctor and I've dealt with patients, therefore I know what they want. Those questions go out of the window. Or no, I'm an engineer. I know how an app should operate and where, where the button goes, that goes out of the picture. No one knows anything. We're here to learn from the user and okay. sort of keep things forward. And then on the other side of how do you sort of connect the tech and, and, and sort of the, the health, um, health side of things, again, I think, which hasn't been easy, by the way, but comes back to mindsets. We're hiring for mindset, regardless of your skill sets. And so if you have the right mindset, you'll quickly blend in and um, you'll just jump into, dive into understanding the problems and finding creative ways of, of solving that solution, regardless of your background, right? And so that's, I think that would be the, and it's not, it's in no way, shape or form an easy task to do, but I think if we get that right, then everything else will fall into place.
Right. Um, and I completely agree with you. I'm a big believer in mindset over skill set. Hands down, skill set can be taught. Mindset and evolving someone's mindset is uh, is a journey, and there is often there's a timeline to that. You just can't accelerate. People have to go through experiences to shift their mindset and change the way they look at the world, and uh, go through those landmarks that 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 allow you to evolve from an environment correctly. Whereas skill set, you know, if you if you hire the right things, the rate and acceleration that people can take information on board and change what they're doing is so much easier. Um, you mentioned earlier in terms of challenges, you know, startup life is littered with them and, and sort of moments that you've probably gone and pulled hair out. Um, where would you say the biggest learning curve for you through the challenges that you face, the biggest piece that you've sort of taken away through the last two, three years of startup life? Biggest challenge. Interestingly, I would say biggest challenge, because to begin with, it's not like I had the right mindset. I had to build the right mindset for this space, right? And again, understanding, I think what was the biggest challenge was really understanding that in order to make this successful, this hybrid of technology, health, um, design, you know, a bunch of these different things, you need to understand what language the other people are talking about what language do medical doctors talk what language do engineers talk what language do product people talk right and so translating that not only translating that but adding that layer of mindset because if you add that layer of mindset then the you don't need to translate as much and so I think that was the biggest learning that we should have done that from the very beginning we didn't and um there were a few instances that we had to part ways or you know um, because we just didn't stick to that from from day one and I think that was one of the learnings um, and the other learning honestly like even if you're getting data and if you're data driven really make sure that data is not biased because you you would think that you how have we have data but actually if you don't even dig into that data that data may be misleading as well okay okay and, and with that that barrier and, and you must have seen this even in in the window that tune has been around is that the the global outlook the national outlook on femtech has changed or is changing it's definitely changing um are you finding that you're still getting the same barriers that you had when you were going to people as an individual that had had reports and science to go right gp listen to me i've got this information are you are you coming across the same barriers or do you feel like the the environment the i think the industry is definitely changing do you think no, for sure. I think so. I think starting here three years ago, I think if I were to give you a percentage, I would say 20% got what we're doing and 80% were like, what the hell? There's no problem here. What are you doing? Um, or, you know, just this, is, this doesn't make any sense to us. I think that's now 50 50. But we still have those people who are like, what? Nothing's wrong. My patients are perfectly happy. What are you talking about? Yeah. Kind of a scenario. But definitely, I mean, I loved Matt Hancock's letter. I don't know if you saw it on Innovate UK. Phenomenal uh, women's call, uh, sort of, what was it? Uh, call for evidence. And oh my goodness, I was saying, what? And, you know, honor and privilege to live in a country whereby it's so like I literally get tears in my eyes because it's just phenomenal that it's just you know so um 
so yeah I just literally like it's just it's just so amazing that they think of these things so advanced and so ahead of everyone else it's just phenomenal it's just phenomenal I just found find that you know no other country is doing that if you look at it so I just think you know we live in a really really great era where we can actually do things technology you know there is not a lot of you know maybe there is and that's why miracles happen throughout history but you know now we not only have the technology but we have the we have a positive force from the society moving us to towards the right direction right so so yeah no i think there's definitely massive change good um and, and with that point on the uk so the uk i think from from not my secondhand experience and the, the stories my partner's told um friends that i have the the problem i think are acutely aware of the, the challenge that a gp has in attempting to prescribe for patients without by being stuck to what the textbook says instead of looking at the reality of the individual and personalizing what they're doing do you think in in other countries the issue is much the same do you think that it's less of an issue in other countries or, or does it just gradually get worse I think it's pretty similar in other countries as well. Um, it's it's very much universal, um, to be honest, because again, it first of all comes from you know the educational level and and sort of universities. It just doesn't exist mm-hmm. as a sort of a module or anything to, to to look at. So therefore, it doesn't trickle down. And then again, even not thinking about women's health, right? And, and, and women's health in a way, hormonal health should could be sort of categorized as a portion of a chronic health, right? Because it goes, goes on for an average of seven, eight years if you have any sort of hormone-related problems. And I think in general, our infrastructures, medical infrastructures are just not yet built to deal with chronic disorders or diseases they're very much on the firefighting side of things right which you know they did great i think in covid for example they you know or they're great in dealing with cancers and so on and so forth but we just haven't had the shift and that is i think across the the board and then obviously looking at women's health which everyone considers as niche and with a lot of stigma it just amplifies the problem further okay and and should i take it as you that the the ambition for the business is very much to be international but this is a this is absolutely put in the hands of everyone absolutely we we are currently in the uk but very shortly we'll be in a few other um locations which we're planning on announcing sort of in, a, in the next few weeks okay great and then an overall vision for the company then and your hopes of where you could take this to in the years to come if, if you were painting your picture sort of five ten years down the line what are the things that you would have hoped to have achieved the the areas that you hope to challenge and, and look towards so i think really if i were to and it says it's a slippery slope that i'm giving you an example here um so so i'm definitely not looking you know not looking to get into the politics of things but you know you look at covid and you look at the clinical trials and you look at the data and 94 percent of the trials were done on white men okay and you know Again, I'm not going to get political about COVID or anything like that. It's not about COVID itself. Just want to make that crystal clear. But how do we in five years time get to a place where at least that becomes 50-50, 50% on men, 50% on women, or, you know, um, 
let's call it 60-40. Uh, <laughs> okay, I'll be happy with that. But how can we right. get to a place whereby we're actually developing drugs, you know, and treatments that are based on female physiology as well as male physiology? You know, I'm not saying I'm against men. My co-founder is a man. You know, I'm not I'm not a man hater, <laughs> but how do we how do we get to a place where it becomes more fair and balanced? Do you think there's a is there and dare ask a political question, but is is there an overarching reason that pharma companies are are avoiding essentially the female demographic in in clinical studies as it stands? I, I'm I, I think I think it's just a question of technology to be honest, technology, and they're just not used to it. Right. And so this is the right time whereby we can evaluate things. One of the fundamental things that, you know, that stress professor told me as well, he was like, the fluctuations decreases our, our statistical power. Fair point. You know, but I think the reason why no one thought of coming up with something earlier was because of all the stigma that existed around it. Right. Period, cycles, all of those things. But right now we have the technology statistical power with with computers are not going to be a problem anymore is there an argument that the likes of the fda should be looking into this and putting it into requirements for clinical trials and looking after you know you're you're approving a product or products that have both genders in mind when you administer a product surely it should be something that they should they should be aware of is there much noise is there anything coming out of these regulatory bodies to to have it on their agenda that's a very good point. I don't think so. And I think the way that they um, sort of, you know, take the responsibility off their shoulders are like, well, you know, if, if a woman is pregnant, then there are far more implications if we give a drug. So it's best to best to sort of not look into that, which is a very, very valid argument and easily puts you off. And you're like, oh, yeah, of course, we're not going to touch pregnant women. Um, so, so. I think they have a valid answer, um, but I don't think they've been pushed enough. And so hopefully, you know, governments like the UK government with Matt Hancock that has put something out there like that would also drive those conversations. Uh, and we'll get to a point where we actually uh, would demand. Um, and I think we're definitely going there. We would demand for a higher quality care. Okay. Okay. Um, and that transition, do you think it's a, do you think it's a reality over the next 10 years to, to head towards that 50-50 landmark? Or do you think it's, do you know, do you think we're talking much longer than that to, to see that radical shift in, in the way that we do, that, that medicine behaves for people and consumers? I think it should definitely happen within the next five years, not 10 years. So I think there's going to be a lot of movement in the space pushing for that, um, you know. Um, so So I definitely, I don't think, anyone can afford not to do it at this point anymore okay okay good answer um, <laughs> okay um building out the the future then for the business and you, you've touched on uh, some of the vision points um are there short-term landmarks that you want to discuss at all is there anything that we should you, anything you're looking to bring into the business anyone that you'd like to hear from that would be helpful for you and the journey of the company um over the next 12 months in terms of hiring yeah combination of hiring advisors the things that the things that would be important to the business um so so i think yeah so 
I mean, just to go, to, just to go back, um, we've started with contraception, but we are very quickly coming out of contraception. So we would be looking to, to significantly expand um, beyond contraception into sort of how do women's bodies actually operate um, and, and, and what does it mean to be a woman and therefore the medications and everything else that would, would go around that. Um, it, we would you know, be looking to expand our team significantly um, uh, you know, going for a, for a rapid growth um, and looking to hire those sort of, you know, like-minded individuals who, who, who like the kind of mindset that we would like to practice. Same with advisors. I think it honestly goes both way. And we were super lucky to have our um, chief medical advisor. He is phenomenal in the way that he thinks um, very much sort of your non-conventional uh, consultant gynecologist who thinks outside the box. Okay, great. I think you've, um, we've discussed this, of course, before previously, but London's the base for the business, but there's just a, a serious international map mentality to the way you able for instance, but also the business as a whole. Um, and we've always talked about taking on people outside of the UK, looking at mainland Europe, looking at the US, and um, going as far field as possible, because I think that mindset, you want that particular energy is unique. And I think there's not that many people with that that approach um is the, i think you mentioned us slightly earlier is the plan to have a, a satellite hub in the us are you looking to to grow physically in any other country at the moment um well to be honest um we're constantly evaluating this and because um uh we are sort of a a, a very scalable platform um we can easily operate in multiple geographies. And that's what we're evaluating right now. But from a hiring perspective, we've said, you know, especially given COVID, I think every single person that pretty much, you know, quite rightly that we've spoken about, they want flexibility, right? And they want to go and work somewhere else remotely. And um, again, coming back to interestingly, you know, what do that user wants if you're considering them a user as part of, you know, the hiring process, because uh, essentially you're, you're, you're asking them what they want. And, and so thinking about the needs of um, individuals who are looking for, for different roles, I think it would be foolish not to think about that. We have to rethink hiring and locations. And so the reason why we're open is because a lot of good quality candidates and talents are actually relocating from the UK to better uh, sort of more sunny locations and not better, but more sunny locations, let's put it that way. And so, you know, what do you do? You, you, you compromise the talent because it's not in the same location. I personally don't think that's the right way to go about it. I think, you know, having a more flexible approach again, offering these people the autonomy um, to, to, to what they do in the, in the location that they are you know, comfortable will give you much better outcomes than being like, no, we're only gonna hire in the, in, in the UK. And if you're not here, then no, bye. Okay, uh, has, and has that mentality and that thought process for you, if, if you were pre-COVID, has that shifted, has that evolved? 100% actually 180% shifted. Um, I was pretty much against remote working. That's where I was. And honestly, seeing how much more productive you can be during COVID and locked and working from home, if obviously you plan everything uh, and, and you project manage effectively, 
the, the outcomes can be just much more significant than going to the office. So for me, it was a massive, massive change in sort of um, uh, the, the way that I was looking at things, basically. Okay, good. Um, yeah, and it's, it's been a massive shift in, in industry and for everyone. I think I, you know, for myself, I was doing the stupid commute. I was sort of four hours on a train to get to to the office and back again. Um, and that evolution and fi- refining that time and translating it into productivity and, and results and impact, both from a professional and personal life, has just been enormous. And I, I think there is a the real challenge that I haven't got my, my head around is how do you how do you bring graduates into a business? How do you how do you train people that don't have experience? How do you um and, and I think for any good business it shouldn't just be for a top layer of experienced individuals to to take that experience and move on. It should be there should be young people coming through that get to experience the mentality and this drive that early stage companies have because they you just learn at a rate and pace that is almost unmatchable because of the different challenges companies go through. Um, are you thinking about bringing in junior people? Have you have you given any? Thoughts? We actually have interns right now working remotely, um, and I mean the one that we have is phenomenal. So I don't know if it's because she's phenomenal or we were phenomenal. I don't know the answer to that question, <laughs> but um, but we didn't let us let it stop us from sort of bringing on board interns and. And the way that we got around it is, so that particular team, they actually have their Zooms open for like four or five hours a day. Like they're literally as if they were sitting next to each other in the office. Okay. Okay. So still very much almost an office environment with them. Correct. Correct. Almost an office environment, but online. Okay, great. Um, No, it's brilliant. I... Yeah, something that we we still haven't got our heads around, and I think that's because you wouldn't like to spend two, three hours listening to me on the telephone uh, <laughs> outside of a Zoom call. Um, okay, so um, look, it's been great to talk to you, Charlene. Great to get a, an understanding of the business and the journey ahead. It sounds incredibly exciting. I'm delighted to be partnering and supporting the business on on its journey. Um, if people want to get in touch with you, what's what's the best way? Um, is there is there a preferred contact method LinkedIn website where how would you yeah like- LinkedIn would be best yeah definitely LinkedIn would be best so they can just yeah reach out on LinkedIn um, to me and happy to have a, a conversation with them okay brilliant perfect um, well look, thank you very much for your time have uh, a great rest of your week and good luck with tune thank you so much Nick really appreciate it cheers bye bye.